You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. Is it dark where you are yet? Then you better tune in. Get it while you can. Pretty soon I'll be posting these at like 3 p.m., <laughs> you know, because winter and suck. Um, so I figured today we'd mix it up and take some calls. And as per the new rules here on Packernet After Dark, new callers go first because they're super important because we just don't want the show to die. So we need the new blood. All right, so let's kick this thing Right on off. Hey, this Pankaj. Can you cover um, last year's Packers defense versus this year Packers defense position by position, how they have improved? Thank you. Bye. Pankaj, my man. Google says that's how you say your name, and they spell it P-A-N-K-A-J. So um, if that's wrong, I apologize. But that is your name now and forever. And if that's not your official name, I would suggest you go change it because you're wrong. Um, All right. Can you cover last year's Packers defense versus this year's Packers defense position by position and how they have improved? Thank you. Bye. First of all, I love the optimism. It's not how has it changed? What is different? It's just tell me at every position why they're better. Crazy thing is I could pretty much do that. Almost all positions. I can think of one that's going to be tricky, but I'll do my best. So first things first, let's start, as I like to, on the interior defensive line. Kenny and Dean were our top guys, and that was by a pretty substantial margin. Our number three defensive tackle was actually Kingsley Kiki in terms of how many snaps he had taken. That position now goes to Jaron Reed. Now, you know I haven't been a massive proponent of Reed, But I would be a little bit surprised if that wasn't an upgrade, because at the very least, if he comes over here and provides exactly what he always did provide, I think at the very least we get, number one, stability. Kiki was never really on the field, physically or mentally, from what I can tell. And he never really provided what we needed. So I think even if Jaron Reed comes over here and is is as good as he has been, he's an upgrade over Kingsley Kiki. There is, however reason to believe that he could be better here than in other places. Um, And I don't want to just cite the fact that that's what happens (laughs) when Brian Gutekunst brings guys here. Zadarius Smith, not that he was bad in Baltimore, but he was a lot better when he got here. Preston Smith, Devondre Campbell goes from a nobody to one of the top linebackers in football. Razul Douglas goes from a a sort of a mid-so-so player to a dominant corner. So there, there is that possibility. 
I know a lot of people are real hyped about him. I, I don't know that he's done as much as people say. However, as you'll hear in tomorrow's podcast, because I never really looked at Jaron Reed and SIS, they actually had him as a pass rusher, I believe seventh overall in the NFL. I don't know exactly how they came to that conclusion, but couple that and Gutekunst's history, on top of the reports coming out of training camp, that the defensive line is unbelievably disruptive, not just against the Packers' offensive line, which could cause some you know concern, but also against the Saints. The Saints' starting offensive line could not stop the Packers' defense, period. I mean, we struggled a little bit against their defense, but not to the extent that they struggled against ours. And that includes pressures from guys like Jaron Reed. Our number four defensive tackle was Tyler Lancaster. That is now Devontae Wyatt. Now, Lancaster certainly had a better understanding of the fundamentals of, of what to do as a Green Bay Packers defensive tackle and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in terms of his his ceiling, his talent level, I like Tyler Lancaster, and I, I don't want to be rude. He's, a, he's an upgraded version of Jack Heflin, if I could put it that way. But I think Wyatt is going to be better than Lancaster on accident. I think he's going to stumble into more pressures than Lancaster had, which isn't even going to be that hard because Lancaster had four pressures last year. Four pressures on 158 attempts. So from a pass rush standpoint, there's almost no question in my mind we got better. Then you look at it from a standpoint of if the pass rush on the interior gets better, it's no longer a matter of all we have to worry about is Kenny because that's not the case anymore. Sorry for the bedooping. Mute that. So the point is, you either continue focusing on Kenny Clark and allow these other guys who are better pass rushers to get after you, or you stop focusing on Kenny Clark and Kenny gets back to his old form when we used to have Mike Daniels around. Because the fact of the matter is, and everybody hates that I say this, Kenny Clark was an elite defensive tackle back in those days. He hasn't been since Mike left. He's been good, but fight me about the numbers. What do you want me to say? Kenny had one game last year where he graded out in the 80s. Oh, PFF grades aren't everything. Okay, well, they also know how to count, you know, pressures and stuff. Four sacks? We're going to put this guy top five, top ten with four sacks? 12% pressure rate is fine. But the point is, and this is the same thing that I went on a tie, or will be going on a tirade about tomorrow, the, the biggest thing that upsets me about overhyping guys that are not meeting their potential, and, and tomorrow I'm going to do this about Tunyon, is that I know the guy's better. And pretending he's already at his peak is nonsense. Treating him like he's already top five and he can't get any better is silly. He can, and he will. His grades over his career, 75 as a rookie. The next year, this is year two, breakout, Mikey D is still there. 87 overall grade. The next year, 90 overall grade. After Mike left, 79, 76, 75. He's still good, but we are not getting maximum Kenny Clark. And I think there's the potential for that. Because to be completely honest, we haven't had anybody like Mike Daniels. And I don't know that we do, but we, we just have not really had a good second defensive tackle in Green Bay since he left. Decent role players, sure. But I'm sitting here saying Dean Lowry might be the best guy we've had. Not particularly sure it's close. Then we go to the edge, and this one's going to be the hardest one to convince anybody that it's going to improve. I think the biggest thing, though, is that Although some of the metrics are going to be really hard for Rashawn to replicate, I think there's a good possibility that it's going to at least 
be perceived that he improved. And what I mean by that is I think the sacks are going to spike. And a big part of that is the interior pressure. When you get a push and you're able to collapse the pocket, whether or not there's a quarterback standing where you are depends on whether he can step up in the pocket or not. If he can, then it's you don't have a quarterback right there. He steps in front of you and either escapes out of the side or throws a pass. If there is interior pressure, he has nowhere to go. He can't step up. All he can do is drop back and try to bail around you, and that gives you a chance to hunt. In terms of the players getting better, not really. I mean, granted, it was mostly just Preston and Rashawn last year with all the injuries. But we got a, a taste of Zadarius, a taste of, of Whitney Merciless. I do think of the sort of backups that, that may have a little bit of a, of a bigger role, for example, Jonathan Garvin, I do expect increased production because I think it's a better version of Garvin, of Tipa. I think Kingsley being there kind of elevates that backup group. And maybe we just see more of them. You know, I don't think Tipa was meant to have a prominent role because Darius was supposed to be there. And, you know, at some point we brought in Whitney to try to mitigate that. And then he got hurt. But the fact of the matter is he was pretty good. He only played in seven games at a 77 overall grade. Dominant run defender, great tackler, and actually his coverage grade, although he didn't do it a ton, was elite. Garvin's pressure rate was fine. So I think with going in with the expectation that these guys will play, Garvin, Tipa, Kingsley, I feel relatively comfortable. It's a drop-off, but but they're going to rotate in, and I think they're actually going to do a decent job. I can't promise you they improve, but I feel, still think, especially, and again, the big part of the success for each one of these groups is the other parts of the defense. If they weren't operating with an improved interior, improved linebackers, and improved corners, and, and improved safeties, you would maybe look at potential regression. But when you have the interior push, when you have the improved coverage on the back end, meaning the quarterback is holding the ball longer and not getting the ball out in, in 1.3 seconds, the production necessarily goes up. Corner is easy. Even if we say Razul drops off, maybe it's because he's in the slot, maybe it's because the, the picks go down, whatever. Stokes is very likely to take a step forward in year two. And Jair is back. That's an easy one. Even if it's not the best version of Jair, we go from rookie Eric Stokes, Razul Douglas and Chandon Sullivan in the slot, to second year Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander and Razul in the slot. That's an upgrade. Any way you slice it. And at safety, you don't have to assume an upgrade, but again, I, I keep coming back to Darnell Savage. Um, I don't know. Maybe Darnell Savage just isn't a very good football player, but, and, and, and maybe this new system is just not great for him. But if you look at what he was doing in the league, he came in, had a 65 overall grade, which is pretty stout for a rookie. That's not bad. That's, you know, that's tops. I mean, if you, you'll get some guys, seventies, eighties, maybe even a, a fluke 90 and they're probably a pass rusher or something that was number one overall, maybe, but a 65 overall grade is not terrible. And then the next year he goes up to a 72. And he has some really, really good games. He has some bad ones that kind of drag him down a little bit. And it, it kind of took him until midseason to get there. And then he really hit his stride. And as I said, if you look from the like week six or something on, Savage and Amos were numbers one and two in all of football. So it took him that second half of the year. So it was like a year and a half for both of them to get acclimated to the system. Then Joe Barry comes in with a much more complex safety system. And he drops to a 57, which is lower than he was as a rookie coming into the NFL. I don't know that I can just blanket say he's a bad safety. It's one of two things. Number one, it's, it's the new system and it's going to take some time, which means he's going to improve. Or this just isn't a good system for him. In which case, there's not much we can do. 
but I think we can say fairly confidently that he is a quality safety. Either he just needs more time or this new thing isn't a good fit for him. But there's a lot of reason to believe that he will improve. In fact, his coverage grades uh, over the three years, 76, 73, and 60. So he was always pretty stout in coverage, and it just kind of fell off with this new thing. And he just kind of struggled. I mean, he had two games graded 70 or higher. Two, Kansas City and Seattle. That's not to say he did terribly st- ter- terrible statistically. The only game he did terrible statistically was probably Baltimore. Um, eight targets, six receptions, 96 yards, and two touchdowns. That sucks. Otherwise, he never gave up more than three receptions. Only had three games where he gave up more than 50 yards. His fourth worst was 32 yards. Uh, he did give up six touchdowns, two against Baltimore, two against Minnesota, and then one against, or two against New Orleans, one against Minnesota, and one against Cincinnati. But I am just relying on the fact that, you know, I think we'd look too much at this is year three and it still hasn't clicked for him. I don't think that's fair. I think he was actually quite good as a rookie. I think in year two, he, he blossomed into a really solid safety. And now he has to start over. And I think he struggled. This is year two for him all over again. He got thrown into this new thing, didn't go very well. He's had all off season to review it, to study it, to learn it, to digest it. He's had this whole off-season program to really get in the mix of things. Hasn't been out there with, you know, with injury and everything else, but I think there's every reason to believe that he improves. And honestly, I don't need elite Darnell Savage. As good as everybody else is. And again, everybody else picks up everybody else. Give me 2020 Darnell Savage, and I am more than happy. Give me a guy with a 70 overall grade, 63 passer rating when targeted, gave up 356 yards and one touchdown with four interceptions and seven pass breakups. I will take that all day. And, and again, the, the biggest reason to, if, if you're kind of on the fence about a position, the biggest reason to lean toward improvement is everybody else. The edges improve because we have better linebackers, corners, and, and interior. I believe in Quay because I believe in uh, Dre and the corners around him and the safeties behind him and the guys in front of him doing their job. I mean, the, the, the biggest knock against Quay almost every single time or the lack of his, his play had to do with the guys around him not exactly doing the best job that they could. But if there were clean lines for him to attack, if the guys in front of him like Kenny are controlling their guys and, and doing a good job of keeping him clean, you know, because a lot of these offensive linemen, they want to they wanna hit Kenny Clark and then get up to the next level. Kenny's going to be like, you ain't touching my guy. You're dealing with me. And he can fly free. Everybody gets better when the people around you improve. It's part of the problem with looking at preseason and saying, well, Quay wasn't quite as good as I had hoped. Well, let's see what happens. Anyways, hopefully that um, kind of helped. Um, another new caller. Not a ton here, but let's uh, let's do this. Go Green Bay! All right. That is your name, by the way. You will be officially... Hold on. Go Green Bay. Not a terrible name to see. I hope you call back because I want to see, when I look at my callers, I want to see Go Green Bay pop up. It's a great name. All right, let's run back up to the top of the order because we don't have any new callers and see what the OG Boomer's up to. Hey, Ryan, what's happening? What? Listen, I got your uh, your broadcast there. I figured I'd call in. This is OG Boomer from Thanks, Germany. Uh, Pac-Man, as hey. they call me. Pac-Man. But hey, listen, I got a question. I figured I'd just bother you since I'm just finishing some wings in season six <sighs> of Better Call Saul. Highly Dang. recommended. Dang. Uh, Man, I, 
I haven't even gotten into it, but you're um, you're getting me jacked up here, man. Just living the just uh, yeah. I was just sucking down wings and watching a TV series, and uh, figured I'd give you a car, man. I need that. I need that in my life. Anyway. Yep. Sorry. Uh, anyway. This thing going on with Rogers and his interviews, right? Yep. It's been going on for a few weeks now. He's all over the place, and he's he's espousing his opinion. Well, about 70% of his opinion I've been listening to seems to be something the head coach should be able to say, right? Just kind of want your thoughts about, yeah, how does the head coach think about Rodgers talking about the talent on the team and how they should be played and when they should be played? Yeah, have yourself a fine Saturday. Yeah, um, trying to think about some specifics that would possibly be a problem. Like, you know, obviously there is the massively controversial thing where Aaron Rodgers was not super happy with the wide receiver play. Um, it seems to me maybe Rodgers says more openly what the coaches won't necessarily play, but I can't think of any situation, for example, and I'm kind of surprised, and maybe they have done this and I just haven't heard it. I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been more of, hey, Rogers says the wide receivers suck. Not exactly, but whatever. What do you what do you think about that? Talking to Matt LaFleur. My hunch, my lovely lady hunch, is that he wouldn't necessarily disagree. He would say something to the effect of, you know, at the end of the day, we hold everybody to a high standard. And obviously, young guys um, can't be expected to meet that standard day one. But over time, as we progress and as we get closer to the season, there is an expectation um, and a lot of pressure placed on these guys to be able to meet that standard. And we're happy with the progress that the guys are making, some more than others, but we have every bit of confidence in these guys that they'll be able to get there. Something to that effect, right? In other words, he's not going to say it the way he said it, but he's also not going to disagree. I wouldn't think. Um, I'm trying to think more specifically about something that that you seem to be alluding to, and I can't think of exactly what that would be about who should be playing or whatever. I mean, obviously he had mentioned um, Juwan Winfrey, but that's been kind of addressed even by Rogers, saying, you know, it's it's not it's not really up to me. It's not a meritocracy or whatever whatever he called it. So I mean, that I guess that's my thought. If if you want to call back and give me some more specifics, that would be fine. But I, I don't think Rogers has said anything that he would necessarily disagree with. I'm sure he's not super thrilled about a lot of the other non-football topics just because of the attention it draws. I mean, he would, again, he would never say that. If he was asked about it directly, he would say that's that's entirely up to him, what he does or whatever. But I'm guessing if it was completely up to Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, he wouldn't be talking about COVID and ayahuasca all the time. But um, as far as the the players and whatnot, I, I'm assuming that they're more or less on the same page because they understand what's, they both understand what's expected of these guys. And if they're getting there or not getting there, they're both going to agree on that more or less. But again, Matt LaFleur is going to be a little bit more guarded, whereas Aaron Rodgers is going to be a little bit more open about it. Hello. It's long bad. Hey, man. It's me. Hope So, what's the advice? How can I get my girlfriend back? I really miss her. Okay, bye. So I gotta admit, I, I um I'm stunned to find out that that's actually an impression of a real thing that exists. And I forget what it's called, homestyle runner or something. My wife 
told me. She doesn't know anything, by the way. And I don't mean that to sound as bad as it sounds, but when it comes to like pop, not not even pop culture is not the right way, movies and TV or anything that's on YouTube or any news or anything that's going on out there, she's pretty oblivious to it. You know, you mention any popular movie and she probably hasn't seen it. There's a few she has, but it, I'm always stunned when it's when she'll say things like she just hasn't seen that. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking Every Every human being that was alive in the 90s watched that movie. What do you mean you didn't see it? I don't even know what that means. How do you exist right now? I don't understand. This doesn't compute. And she's like, oh yeah, that's a thing on YouTube. I'm like, what? First of all, you don't go on YouTube. Like The only thing she watches on YouTube is some like Russian cleaning lady or something. I don't know. But anyways, um, it's a thing. And both this and Strong Bad were, were, were on there. So that kind of made me sad. I didn't, I didn't know that this is some kind of a lame pop culture thing. I thought it was Thought it was unique to our show. How do you get your girlfriend back? I don't know, man. Stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> a good start. I looked it up. It's Homestar Runner, and it's the worst thing ever. The first video that pops, first of all, 280,000 subscribers to this show. Bug in mouth disease. This is like one of those really dumb, and maybe this even is, but you know the... Um, like Comedy Central After Dark, where they had all these cartoons that were really awful, that were like created by really weird basement people that have a warped sense of humor that isn't really funny aside from them and like their 18 friends that all live in their basements. Like I'm I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like, I, I can't tell if this is like a kid's show because there's nothing bad going on, but it's not interesting to kids and nothing funny is happening. I don't understand the purpose. I don't know what the point of this is. I mean, just here. Sit, but he don't want to listen. Pop, Pop. Santa, I think I swallowed a bug. The good times are over. You gotta help me out, I could die. Well, what do you want we should do? Give me them dang ice cream. We'll freeze them out. So that's what we're dealing with. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm flattered to be getting calls from Homestar Runner. Um, if you want your girlfriend back, stop being Homestar runner because nobody wants that (laughs) i'm sorry you probably really like that show that's why you do impressions of it but maybe you can call back and tell me why the show is interesting because i'm curious anyways if you'd like to call into the show you can call in anytime leave a message 608-501-0718 if you'd like to support the podcast patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy And again, if you'd like to support the Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, you can find links uh, pinned to the top of my Twitter, as well as pinned to the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you don't have or want to, my goodness, with those chairs. I tried, man. I put some things on them. They just fall off. If you don't have any of those things, um, reach out to me and I'll get you all set up. Take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Ryan, I need some parenting advice. So my kid is uh, three and a half weeks old and she's not pulling her weight around here, what are some age-appropriate chores that she can do? <sighs> Tried to have her mow, and she, like, wouldn't even consider it. Not very good at walking. I don't know. I just, I'm frustrated here. feel like, uh, what if I take kids turn into a deadbeat? She just lays around all day, so. Anyways, what the, what, what chores do you make your kids do? Yeah, I think mowing the lawn might be a little tricky at that particular age. Um, whether or not they're faking that they can't do it, I don't know. It's it's hard to – it's one of those things where you want to call them out on it, but then people are going to be like, that's insane. Why are you being so cruel? It's a baby. And, you know, you, you can't prove otherwise, so you got to just leave it be. Um, I like to find chores that they can do when they're just laying there. Sorting laundry is a good one. Just put a pile next to them and, you know, be like, just pull your stuff out. You know, you you know baby clothes. You're not dumb. I've seen you do smart things. We talk about it all the time. Look at look at what she did. She's a genius, right? How many times have you called your kid a genius? Everybody thinks their kid is the most advanced ever. And obviously the kids are sitting there sucking it up and they're doing all these things so that they can get credit for it. But then when it comes time to pull your weight, and use that genius to be like, hey, this is baby clothes. I'm going to pull that out of the pile. Maybe do a, a, a fold. You don't have to fold. I mean, that's the other thing. You don't even have to fold that much. The, the clothes are tiny. It's, it's so small, it's basically already folded. You can just set it in the drawer. It's drawer length. But, you know, they can do it one fold. So start with that. See if, you know, that's something that isn't too hard. But again, the problem is babies can just fake it. And be like, I don't want to do it. Or I can't do it. And then you can't call them out on it. Because they flail around like, I don't know, I can't control my arms. I'm trying, I just can't do it. And what are you going to do? You're going to call them out on it? It's like your wife when she's pregnant. She sleeps all day. She's like, well, I'm just, I'm tired and I just can't do it. I don't have energy. And it's like, well, I mean, I can't call you a liar. But I also don't know that it's true. Maybe you're, and here's the thing. It's because I would. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you got to mow the lawn. And it's like, I would but I'm tired because I'm pregnant. You're asking me to do these things. I can't breathe. I just, I need a nap. I'm going to the bedroom. And if you even think about following me in the bedroom, 
and calling me a liar, I will make your life a living hell. That's what I would do, but, you know, it's probably legit. Then your wife loses like 20 pounds in two weeks because she can't keep food down. You're like, whoa, good thing I didn't try to call her out because apparently this is actually physically taxing. I, uh, she wasn't lying. Good to know. But the babies, I don't know, man. There's, there's Just try and see if she'll do it. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig from Indiana. What up? Um, question for you. Of our Super Bowl victories, which one do you think is the most impressive um, I tend to think the first one, uh, given just the uh, pressure of the NFC needing to beat the AFC and the whole Max McGee storyline. Um, but just wondered your thoughts on on uh, that one or the other ones. Take care. Thanks. Bye. So this one is far too much of a history question for me. I get what you're saying, the, the NFC-AFC thing. Um, let me just plead my case before the court about my Super Bowls, and in particular, the 90s Super Bowl. First of all, and I I don't want to dismiss what Lombardi did or anything like that, but I can't get over the story, which again is a fantastic story, but of Bart Starr in the Ice Bowl coming over to the sideline saying, hey, this dude, he can't get any traction. Let me just run it in. I can just jump in from where I'm at. And Lombardi's like, whatever, dude, do it and let's get out of here. It's cold. I don't think he said it's cold, but that was the, that was the premise. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know, but I don't get the impression that football was quite as big of a deal as it is now. I just think generally the pressure wasn't exactly what it is. The buildup, obviously there wasn't the money. There wasn't all these things. It was, I mean, if you go back far enough, pre-Super Bowl, it was a glorified hobby for a lot of these guys. You know, it was like what we would consider semi-pro football teams now. It just wasn't that big of a deal. There's hardly any teams. There was hardly any games played because there weren't any teams. So I don't know. I wasn't around back then, and I know obviously by the time we got the Super Bowls and there was the big build-up with the NFC-AFC thing, that was kind of a big deal. But, you know, the 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 league kind of started. I mean, if we if we say that the league started then with the Packers at the top, they were an absolute powerhouse. They walked into it a powerhouse. They were, you know, one of the teams that established everything. They got the best coach. They got some of the best players. I, you know, I'm not saying it wouldn't have changed anything, but they're still a fantastic football team if they don't win, you know, the first Super Bowl or the second Super Bowl. But in the 90s, when, you know, things got to be a lot bigger and national and worldwide, the Packers were going through a really dark era for a very, very, very long time. And it was to the point where the Packers were almost not a team anymore. And um, I'm not going to pretend to do my whole history spiel because I'm going to end up messing stuff up and people are never going to listen to me again. But the bottom line is, I feel like there was a lot of pressure. And granted, the team had basically turned around at this point. And I think even if they hadn't won the Super Bowl, they'd still be an organization. But what that Super Bowl represented, right? It's not just a matter of, hey, we turned it around so we're, we, we don't just kind of suck anymore. It's we are the best in the world. It's, it's an official stamp that this is real. This is a real organization. We're, we're back to our glory days. You know, we don't have to pick up and uproot and move. Every, it, it, it's vindication of everything that was done. Because it, it still feels like unfinished business. You know, if, if Ron Wolf comes in and makes these moves and he gets Brett Favre and he goes and gets these guys and he gets Sterling Sharp and all these other guys and the team is really, really good and they start winning games and they start going to the playoffs, but then they don't win a Super Bowl and begin to fizzle, it feels incomplete. 
The Super Bowl was the, the, the final nail in the coffin that everything that he did, everything that the organization did, starting at that point, to change the course of the, of the, of the franchise was vindicated. From the players that were brought in, like Brett Favre and Reggie White, to the guys that were drafted, to the coaches that were there, it was a restoration of a once great and historic franchise that was on the way to the trash heap, which is the craziest thing to think about because I never experienced the dark era. I never experienced the, the questions of, is this franchise going to survive? It almost, it almost kind of reminds me of Apple, you know? Apple is just this great, enormous thing that was, that was one of the first into an industry and was one of the best in the industry, and it just kind of died out. And it became a thing that just wasn't really a thing anymore. And then it came back with such ferocity. And to think now that the Packers would be anything other than, you know, one of the all-time great historic powerhouses in football is, is crazy to even think about. So my vote is for the uh, 90s Super Bowl. But a lot of that just has to do with bias. All right, we got one more from Craig here. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig again from Indiana. What up? Um, Question we, uh, we know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a, a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. And we don't know how long he's going to play. But do you think there'll be any other Packer that gets into the Hall of Fame before he does? I'm before. wondering about um, Mike uh, Holmgren or um, Sterling Sharp. Those are two that people bat around a little bit. Um, but uh, just wonder what you thought. Take care. Bye. Man, these are tough questions in, in the arena that I don't usually play around in. I don't usually pay attention to all that Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, I just kind of hear rumblings about guys that are kind of almost in but not quite. I don't really pay too much attention to it. And it's not, I don't know. Again, the, the, the only reason I think it matters is because it matters to the players and the coaches. It matters to them, and so it matters to me. But it, I, I wish it didn't matter. You know what I mean? I, I wish... It wasn't that big of a deal because it, it takes away from so many great players. It, you know, it, it vindicates a lot of guys that, that want that. They want to be similar to what I just said about the 90s Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's, you've got your career, but it feels incomplete until you get this official, you know, bust in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I don't like, you know, it, it's great for the guys that get in, but I don't like the fact that we have this sort of incomplete thing for guys like Sterling Sharp as though there's anything missing from that man's career. There isn't. Everything he did, it, it's, it's... People that have no right to judge him are the ones put in a position to judge him and say, you aren't quite ready to be in here yet. You have no right to say that. You have no right to put a mark on, on his career and, and judge him for anything. And the fact that we're waiting as though he's going to do something better with his career is silly. Is he deserving or not? If he is, you put him, well, we don't want to put too many people. It's stupid. There is no question that these guys belong in the Hall of Fame to me. Now, I think there are people that are in conversations that probably shouldn't. But again, if, if, if your mark has altered the course of the NFL, well, I guess if you put it that way, then there are a lot of people that should be put in, but pretty much everybody should be put in. But guys like Holmgren have left such an unbelievable impact on the NFL. It's not just he's a Super Bowl winning coach. I mean, what he did rising through the ranks, through San Francisco, what he did there, coming to Green Bay, what he did here, and his coaching tree, the quarterbacks that he helped to develop that went other places, the things he did with Brett Favre, the things he did with all these players, 
and and obviously he took his career to even higher heights than that. It just feels upsetting that there's this barrier to entry to this all glorious thing that he feels he needs to bow to and oh shucks I didn't get in and it's just it's it's pathetic and it's annoying. This this idea of uh, again people that are unworthy of judging are keeping people out and and it it has no bearing on their careers and it shouldn't have any bearing on their career. You know, and and the fact that a lot of these players die before they ever get to see their their way in. And the fact that they die with that thing missing that they they always just wanted to see this one thing and they never got a chance to see it. That's unfair. And again, my preference would be to just not have it. You know, have something else that memorializes every player for what they did. I mean, you know, pretty immediately. You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to like you said it's going to be immediate first ballot. He's in. It's done deal. Tom Brady, the second he leaves, he's got a Boston can. But there are other guys that, that, you know, are deserving, that shouldn't have to wait decades while other people butt in line. So are other people going to get in before him? I, I would guess yes. I don't, I don't really know how close these guys are. But, you know, let's say Rodgers plays. I mean, obviously, if he retires this year, probably not. But let's say he goes two or three more years. I, I bet a guy like Holmgren gets in. So I, I, that would be my, my thought, my, my assumption. But I don't know. But again, the whole thing just kind of annoys me, and I don't like it, and that's why I don't pay a ton of attention to it. It reminds me very much of like Madden grades. It's just, it's silly nonsense. People that have no right to be judging the characteristics of players that end up doing a terrible job of it, and then then the players end up getting upset about it. And it's like, that, but, okay, but that's not your speed, right? <laughs> it's like if, if it's like if a, if, if a person calls a skinny guy fat, like that probably shouldn't hurt your feelings because you're not. Yeah, but this is the ultimate judge of the universe, and they think I'm fat. But, well, then the ultimate judge of the universe is an idiot. It's a reflection on them, not on you. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, I can't say I want to take the Hall of Fame away because it's, it's a special thing. But I just don't like the way it's set up. I don't think there's any question guys like Holmgren and, and Sterling are, are worthy. So put them in. You know, the, the idea that we don't want to put too many in because it kind of I don't know, is going to lower the value of it or what? I mean, if they're going to get in anyways, all you're doing is delaying the amount of people in the Hall of Fame. You're not changing the amount of people. You're delaying it. They're going to get in. And, you know, again, you just you don't want to make them sit and wait and suffer, which is, again, ridiculous because these people are deserving of everything that's coming to them. And for them to have to wait and grovel as though, you know, it's just, it's, it's aggravating. But uh, we will leave it at that. That's it. That's the end of the show, folks. Thanks for showing up. You guys have yourselves a great night. I'll talk to you maybe tomorrow if you call. Bye-bye.